Hey friends, welcome to the Publish, Promote, Profit podcast. I'm Rob Kosberg, and every week I show you how to use a best-selling book to grow your income and your impact. And if you're interested in having your own best-selling book, I recorded a short video explaining our trademarked process at beginmybook.com. All right. Hey, welcome everybody. Rob Cosper here with another episode of our Publish, Promote, Profit podcast. Got a great guest for you today who's written a couple of books. Dr. Fred Moss, MD, uh, has been practicing in the mental health field internationally for over 40 years. That's a good long time in that field, uh, doctor. Uh, he's the expert on delivering your true voice into the world so that it can heal. Along with being a highly successful transformational coach, his signature technology, True Voice Podcasting, is for people who are ready to take their lives back and speak their authentic message into the world. He's the author of Creative Eight, Healing Through Creativity and uh, Self-Expression, and uh, also the book Find Your True Voice. And I think that that's at findyourtruevoice.com. Is that correct, doctor? That's right. Exactly. Yep. Awesome. Well, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks. For- FindYourTrueVoiceBook.com. Sorry. Oh, FindYourTrueVoiceBook.com. Awesome. And we'll give links at the end and we'll put those in the show notes. So no worries about that. So uh, great to have you on. Very, very intriguing idea. Uh, so you've been, you know, a psychiatrist for 40 years practicing in the field. And somehow that has led you to this idea of finding your voice through expressing it in podcasting. What in the world? Talk to me about that journey and oh and what goodness. that means. Like, get, give me the idea of what that, like, help me understand what that actually is. That's really great, Rob. And the reason I'm laughing is it just seems so ironic because ultimately, you know, back in the day, I was born to communicate. I was the first day that I arrived, really the first second that I arrived. I think my two older brothers, 10 and 14 years older than me. And my parents were just, you know, there was some disarray and some chaos in the home. And they were just hoping that I would bring some joy, communication and love to their already worn out family. Mm. And uh, so that was what my full time job has been my whole life until now. And it started like I was like, you know, hit the time, like, you know, punch in. Uh, (laughs) It it was my job on the first second. And I became so enchanted with communication early in my life. And my brothers were kind enough to, you know, teach me how to. I don't know that they were always kind, but, you know, teach <laughs> teach me how to read and teach me how to do math long before I even went to elementary school. So I was pretty precocious in elementary school. I spoke a lot. There's no teacher in my elementary school who wouldn't remember having Fred as one of their students. I'm quite certain of that. And uh, I just wanted to be a communicator. I just really just wanted. I, I just saw the magic of communication. I see those four adults talking to each other or see other people talking. When I learned how to talk, it would seem like I could get stuff done. Uh, just by uttering certain words and really felt like um, the power of voice and the power of communication was the magic. It was the thing I was most enchanted with, the thing that I was most curious about. So I've, I had heard that school was a place that you might learn how to communicate more effectively. And when I started school, that's what I thought would happen. But in kindergarten, what I really saw is that communication was, you know, most kids weren't really ready to communicate like I already sort of was. And they were just, you know, throwing blocks and picking their nose and 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 Doing not communicating. And yeah, that's yeah. And I, I myself, I was at least communicating. I'm sure, to be honest, is I was throwing blocks and picking my nose, too, after all. But I was communicating and I just felt like, OK, I'm going to learn how to communicate. It was just like inundated every day with how, how important it might be. 
And maybe I'm supposed to, you know, as elementary school went on, it didn't get much better. So I thought, oh, junior high, that, uh, yeah, that's where the big kids are. They'll, they'll teach me how to communicate there. And when I went to junior high, I was disappointed only to learn that that wasn't much better than elementary school, kind of worse. So I was like, oh, high school, that'll be it. And then when, you know, see, you see how the story goes. I, yeah. I was, uh, it didn't, it went downwards from high school again. I was like, oh, I like the helmets and, you know, the school of the state is University of Michigan. So I'm going to go to the University of Michigan. So I did everything I could to get myself into the University of Michigan with the whole idea that I would learn finally how to communicate. Well, lo and behold, it didn't happen in Ann Arbor either. You know, it happened in Ann Arbor, actually, but it didn't happen in University of Michigan. And at University of Michigan, I was being asked to just sit down, watch a professor say stuff that I otherwise didn't understand, regurgitate it back to them. And then I would be given a passing grade and told that I could move on as a good boy. And that wasn't communication either. So I dropped out of college. That was it. And I, and I got on a Greyhound bus, came out to California and you know, there to find myself, so to speak. I did some finding of myself and then realized I probably should get a job. So I went back all the way across back to Michigan and tried again at the University of Michigan. I only lasted for a couple terms. I took computer courses, COBOL, Fortran, et cetera. And it was like, no, this isn't it either. And I came home in 1980 and told my mom, I'm not going back to college ever. That's it. This is not where you learn to communicate. I'm not, I'm not in. So she's like, okay, Fred, no problem, um, but you do have to get a job. And it's like, okay, she got me a civil service application. And I started a job at this state mental hospital for adolescents. And lo and behold, they were paying me money to communicate. Lo and behold, all I had to do was look across the table at this person who was about six or seven years younger than me, but had gone through life too, and was trying to figure out how to put one foot in front of the other, just like me. And we had communication be at the heart of our healing journey together. Mm. So not only was I able to heal in communication, and not only was I getting paid to help heal in the communication, but I myself was healing through that communication. Not only in the one-to-ones with the groups, with the other colleagues of mine, with my you know coworkers. So somehow I hung on to that job for a while. Now, here's the problem, and this is where I was laughing. The thing I hated about that job, I mean, despised about that job, really, was the way psychiatry was treating those kids. Uh, you see, we would call psychiatry if Johnny was out too late, up too late, or, or Jimmy and Tony had gotten in a fight. And uh, the psychiatrist would come, you know, would take the call and then walk down to the unit with his uh, weapon, this thing here called the pen. And he'd interview the kid for a couple seconds, interview me, and then interview maybe the nurse. And then write something in the chart, and that would be some form of communication. And then we got to go find Johnny and hold him down while while the nurse, you know, tagged him full of some injectable sedative or antipsychotic and put him out of his misery for 12 or 24 hours. And then we had to call that a success. And there was something just so barbaric and unacceptable about that to me that we had to do that so often to these kids that I otherwise just adored. Mm. And, you know, if they stayed quiet and stuporous and saliva and could barely walk. That's what we called a success. And psychiatry, I just had it, had lost its mind. Mm. My brother was a psychiatrist already. He's 14 years older than me. And um, he uh, 
I just thought, well, that's really the place where communication, where I can start taking communication to the top. So I made it my commitment to go back to school one more time with the sole intention of becoming a psychiatrist so that I could bring communication effectively back into the world and back into the psychiatric world. So 13 years later, after uh, finishing off at Wayne State and then, and then going to Northwestern and did a residency in University of Cincinnati and, and a fellowship in child and adolescent psychiatry in University of Cincinnati. There I was as a psychiatrist. Lo and behold, again, though, in the middle of that, there was a massive paradigmatic shift that took place in 1987. Some of us might remember if you're old enough, and that is that uh, Prozac was introduced to the world. And when Prozac was introduced to the world, it was as big a deal as any of the problems or issues that are going on in our world now. Prozac alone, the green and white capsule was on the cover of Newsweek alone. Uh, it was also on the cover of Time magazine alone. This idea that we had now found a medication that could treat our ills in such a way that if we felt bad, there must be something wrong with us. And we had a pill that could take that away. Now, as we've later learned, the pill doesn't do that, but that was the marketing and, uh, tool of the times. And it was this idea that if you were uncomfortable, there was something wrong with you. And hence, biological psychiatry was built as a, as a specialty. It, it was launched, initiated. So now Prozac was soon followed by Zoloft and Paxil and then many other classes of medicines that, that were aimed at this idea that if you were anxious or depressed, that meant there was something wrong with you. And now then all of a sudden medicines came out of the woodwork that were aimed at mood instability or aimed at funky thinking or aimed at, you know, not getting jobs done quickly enough or poor sleep or not responding to trauma effectively or trouble in social environments or maybe not getting along with the other sex or oh, there are so many psychiatric conditions that have been built on the heels of that invention. So there I was now as a psychiatrist, actually becoming a psychopharmacological international psychopharmacological expert, exactly the thing that I didn't want to do when I pursued psychiatry 13 years prior. Mm. Communication is what I want to do. That's what I want to do. Because I know in my heart of hearts, I know in my soul, I know that little Freddie knew too, when he was four years old, just ready to go to elementary school, that com communication, connection, conversation, and creativity are at the heart of all healing of all conditions. It's really what people want is to be heard. And when someone's heard, healing takes place at that instant, no matter what the condition is, even if it's physical. So in 2006, I began to really take a different route and started, you know, I just got I, there. I was, I had written out thousands, tens of thousands of prescriptions all of a sudden. And that it was like, so ironic as I look back at it, it's like soul sacrifice. Each time I took my pen out mm. this weapon. And I was like, 2006, I began to do something. What now seems like pretty radical, which was, I took people off of medicine. I know that sounds so crazy. Huh. I began taking people. I know. Wow as if we're supposed to be afraid of coming off medicine and not afraid of going on medicine, it's most ludicrous. Mm. But there I was, I started taking my low risk patients off medicine and reminding them that there might not be anything inherently wrong with them in the first place. And they got better. They got way better, reliably better. Sometimes all their depression, all their anxiety just lifted and they became um, normal human beings. So the theory that the medicines and, frankly, the diagnoses actually perpetuate the symptoms they're marketed to treat came to mind. Mm. Not only perpetuating the symptoms they were marketed to treat, but, Rob, we're talking about the possibility that they were causing the symptoms they were marketed to treat. Mm. 
And we wouldn't really know that if you think about it. We would think that our condition had gotten worse, but luckily we're taking medicine to mitigate it. I started doing this over and over again, and my theory, unfortunately, proved correct. Each and every time that I was able to move someone off their medicine, they got better reliably. Hmm. And each and every time we reminded them that maybe their diagnosis was just a facsimile of a prevailing conversation, they were able to steady themselves and begin to communicate effectively, and healing took place. Over the last 15 years, since 2006, I guess we're into 16 years now, I have found myself really backing out of the medical field and backing out of being asked to do that, which is required when you're a psychiatrist. I know if you're like most people, if someone says, what's the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist? Rob, you tell me what you know that difference to be. You can prescribe medicine. There you go. That not that just freaking crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. That's it. That's yeah. the answer. That's the rote answer. That's what 99% of the people say. And that's the last thing I want to do. Right. Right. Literally. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> so you want to know now how to find your true voice become the essence of my entire persona? It's actually been, but the wars I've been fighting to finally get to, let's bring your authentic message into the world right now, really came to a culmination point recently. Look, there's some troubling times out there. It's difficult. It's challenging. It's, it's truly threatening in many different areas. And the most threatening thing going on in the world is not what we think it is. It's not a virus. It's not climate change. It's not sex trafficking or racism. Those things are monstrous, colossal, colossal threats to humanity. I'm not downgrading that. It's not even war. The thing I say is the biggest threat to the world is that we have chosen to stop speaking our true voice and in some cases had it taken away from us. And without our true voice, we're not getting on the other side of any of these things anyway. So sayonara. So what does that mean to you? What is that? You know, that I've heard that phrase before. I think it means different things to different people. So what, what is what does it mean to speak your your true voice and then lead that into this idea of podcasting and yeah, and the connection there? Sure. So true voice is really coming in touch with that, which is already within you. You don't have to go searching very far to find your true voice because it's right here with you. And it's really where you are in any given second. And frankly, most of us or all of us, if we're really true to ourselves, know when we're speaking something a little bit pretentious or off the mark from what we really know to be true. We're doing so maybe to maneuver ourselves or to manipulate, to prevent ourselves from being canceled or censored or thrown off the island, uh, fear of being hurt or misunderstood. So we alter our truth in order to fit those molds. Mm. The true voice, the authentic voice is what's sitting underneath there that you can feel when you, that isn't quite what I mean to say, but I got to say it given the circumstances that I'm in, the true voice is the one that's sitting there calmly underneath you that actually knows what it is you wish you could say or what it is you know about what you know about. So it doesn't necessarily need to be expressed either. Exactly. Okay. Now that's a really good point. That's a great point, actually. So sometimes the best way to express your true voice is to simply be silent and to listen. In fact, listening is not only a counterpart to finding your true voice, it's the magic ingredient to finding your true voice. Listen to others, listen to your circumstances, listen to the context, listen to what's really being called for and what's being asked for in order to move that needle forward, and then deliver your true voice creatively into that setting. Now, you don't, people think they have to go to Tibet or live in a cave or I don't know, go to an ashram or, or meditate for a week or uh, who knows, sit under a tree. And those aren't the things that necessarily bring you a true voice. 
it's really a matter of just uncovering the things that we put over the top of ourselves, the muck that we put over to live a life of duplicity, a life of pretentiousness that actually paid dividends. When I was a child and I could actually, you know, cry on, you know, cue in order to get a lollipop, I, I did. That was cool. I, yeah. I, when I figured that out, that was cool. When I figured out that if I changed the truth and my sister got in trouble and I didn't, that was cool. The crack in the cement has gotten a lot larger over time. And now we still live duplicitously. We find our reasons. We're afraid, you know, people take advantage of that. They make us more afraid than when we tell the truth. We say our truth and someone hits us in the head and we decide we're never going to say our truth again. You know, I think that Henry David Thoreau said the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. Sure. That's right. And die with their song still in them. What I'm saying is bring out that song. That song needs to be sung. And we have, I don't know how much time we have, but the greatest, you know, tragedy that I can imagine is that you might live a whole life with your song unsung. Sure. And no one ever really get to know you. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's good. And I want to talk about the books and and how you use your books to bring people into your world to express this message. Uh, I like the message that I'm hearing. I think the generation prior to me was, uh, you know, my parents and grandparents, and I'm 57, so I'm not a kid, but I think the prior generation was more embracing of medication, whereas I can't stand it. I would rather try to work things out with good nutrition, exercise, discussion, things of that nature. I'm not saying that medication isn't important at certain times, but I think it was the prior generation, at least from my perspective, was uh, maybe always looking to that first rather well, than Well, still the number the one most number one most sold class of medicine on the planet is definitely psychopharmacology. So it's still still right there. People so, line up around the block. They take 8, 10, 12 medicines a day. Hmm. And uh, so polypsychopharmacology wow. is right out there. And it's not a not a generational thing. It has not faded. It is the it number one most. Nope. Number well, one. It did most in this prof- generation. I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's good. That's good. The number one most profit profitable the pharmacology on the planet is definitely psychopharmacology. Interesting. Well, well, yeah. sorry to hear that. <laughs> I know. Well, I know if it's actually too. if it's actually causing the symptoms it's marketed to treat, then that would be pretty problematic. A good business model, by the way, is to have a product that causes the symptoms and makes you buy the product. Amazing. Right. Yeah. I, I, like if, if me and you would have designed that be, and, and you have no morals whatsoever. It's an amazing idea. <laughs> it's a great idea. And it really, really did work. And it creates a billion dollar a day industry, several billion dollars a day industry that really, really works in that matter. But it's not the medicines that are the problem. Anyways, let's talk a little bit about podcasting, because I know you wanted me to mention that. I do want to understand that. Yeah. And then I want yeah. to get into the book as well. Sure. The podcasting idea was as a communicator, as an effective communicator with, you know, 40,000 people who called me their doctor at least one time in their life. So and then all the conversations I had beforehand with my elementary school teachers and so forth. What I really learned is that I'm a natural as a podcaster. I'm a natural as a host. I'm a natural. I do okay as a guest. And the idea is that I love communicating. You know, the thing about podcasting that separates it from any of the other social media or delivery systems is that it's the last remaining vestige of a place that's uncensored, uncancelable. You know, it's you own your own product. You can actually say what you want when you want. You don't get immediately hated or, 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 can't, or you know, moved off your platform. And all those things are really happening all over the world, such that our voice is being choked out of us here. 
there is an open avenue for speaking our true voice still in podcasting. We don't know how long it's going to last, by the way. It isn't like it's just God's gift. It's right. something that's here. And look at Joe Rogan already. You know, there's there's some people who are already being yeah, being contracted. Yeah. 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 And they could and they might. And then that would affect all of us. You know, um, I'm not making a statement one way or another. I'm just saying that as soon as uh, podcasting gets canceled, that's uh, that's going to be a rough deal. Yeah. So welcome to humanity is the name of my podcast. I just shifted it to I know you're going to be very surprised at the name of my new podcast, which is True Voice with Dr. Fred. Um, <laughs> I, it took a whole team. A whole team wow. Yeah, 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 Great, yeah. Brilliant strategy. I, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you know, we had to pay for I had to pay for all the all the, you know, focal groups and everything. And we, that was what we came up with. And um so podcasting now, you know, I do I, for the upcoming summit I'm hosting, I do podcasting with all, all of the stars on that summit. And I, I really just like interviewing people of all types about like who they are and what's being called for. And then really how to be an influencer is the new pod, the new summit. So the idea is, how are you an influencer? How do you make your difference in the world? Like what's really here to make a difference in the world? And, the, you know, the book, the Find Your True Voice book is meant for, you know, leaders, coaches and consultants who are ready to make their real impact in the world. And so what I'm saying to those people is they've been spending all this time helping other people, leaders, coaches, consultants, and in time, most of them have been muffling or muzzling their own voice in the meantime. Today's a day. You know, now's the time. They are the one. You are the one yeah. to bring that real true voice forward instead of pretending that you don't have one or that I don't know or that, you know, all the things that we've end up doing over time to really muffle ourselves, to pretend to be someone that we are in order to protect ourselves from the real person that we are. Wow. Yeah. What an interesting decision. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned the uh, Find Your True Voice book. Let's talk about that for a minute and kind of change gears. Different than a lot of podcasts, uh, we have many authors or uh, those that are coaches, consultants, experts that are thinking of writing a book or wanting to write a book. So I always like to discuss how our clients are actually using their books to get more of what you want. Uh, more speaking, more customers, more right. clients, <laughs> more attention, etc. So talk to me about how you're using your books, what you're doing. Um, any stories around that would be great. Sure. So the Find Your True Voice book is the book that I'm using. The findyourtruevoicebook.com is where you can find that book. And your listeners can, if they're interested in what I'm saying and want to resonate a little bit more with what I'm up to, it go more in depth with this exact topic in that book, Find Your True Voice. Um, is I give it away for free. I actually do. If sure. I, I, I count on the people who are going to click that button, the people who to be people who are at least interested and likely to read it. And if that's the case, there's enough in there that I use it as a we'll say I don't like the phrase, but as a lead generator, a lead magnet. Sure. Um, people, you know, there's a connection to my uh, to my website there, and soon there'll be a connection to my circle community that I'm growing pretty quickly these days. The idea being that if you've read my book. And you still want to talk to me, then then you're then you're not you're not a cold lead anymore. Yeah, and by yeah, the time yeah. you call me, we're already on, we're already in business. So what does my book really do? My book bypasses the cold lead sector. Yeah, this is you know it it by the I'm already vetted. By the time someone's tapping on me, they're already interested in exploring what it would be like to work with me. Yeah. 
I got to tell you, that's more valuable than money in my world because those cold calls, they are baked, they are rough as any of us who have made those, you know, to get coaching clients or to get people in masterminds or to get any, any kind of leverage or any kind of, you know, attraction with anyone. Uh, the cold calls are the hardest part. So if this book is being used to bypass that section of that um, client journey, if you will, bring on more of it. And yeah. so I, I send that out and, uh, and uh, you know, and then I call back in about five or seven days, make sure that they receive the book and let them know I'm out here. And I think that, as I told you before, I, I really do like the book. I even, you know, even after reading it, like the writer <laughs> of the book, who is, who is me. And uh, I was like, oh, I could use that phrase. I would use it. And it's like, oh yeah, I That's because it's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, really, it's really fun to have written a book that's so aligned with with uh, who I am as a as a human being. Love that. Now, yeah. you've mentioned, of course, the book and the website a number of times, and and we'll give links uh, again in just a moment. But how are you uh, getting the book out into your potential audience? You just did through this podcast. I assume yeah. you do that with your own podcast as well as others. Are there other strategies that you use? There is. Tell, there is. Tell me about so, some of those. So, yeah. The, first of all, being a podcast guest is magic. Sure. It, it is. I mean, after all, I mean, you, you're, you're sort of renting me or loaning me this, this loving fan group of audience that's here that is already tuned into who you are. And so if I can speak and listen to what it is that's being called for um, inside of your audience group and then deliver this message into them, thank you so much. And thank you so much to your listeners for sure. listening this far and being interested. So that's one. That is a fabulous way to get your book out is to be a podcast guest. Yeah, 100%. The second way is to be a podcast host. It's true, but that's a little bit that, that that's a little bit labor intensive. Not too much, by the way. Once you get it started, you get your team, and you can get your process down, and you know, get pretty good at it, and get a get a whole intention put together of and a you know a title and actually a theme. That's a great way to get your book out. So you know, in the bumpers and in the intros and outros, you can mention your book. The third way that is really, really fun for me is I'm doing a lot of expert speaking these days, and I'm speaking this same message in a 20-minute speech, some version of this. You know, Thoreau's quote makes it into that speech, for instance. And and um, uh, there's another one from Voltaire. Uh, you know, I may disagree with what it is you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. And, you know, that's a true voice statement for sure. And so being an expert, I do a lot of rotary clubs and once in a while I get hired for actual keynotes and, you know, I say plug my book, but it isn't really that. It's like, if you want to know more about me and you want to work with me, then this is the way to do it. Those three areas that, you know, once in a while I'll post it on social media or on Clubhouse or something like that. But really, I like to get close to the people who are already possibly interested in talking to me. And uh, I use the book in those three areas at the primary spaces. Yeah. Beautiful. Love that. Uh, Very, very helpful. Uh, Simple, but really powerful, (laughs) especially if you do it systematically and and appear on multiple podcasts and have your own and and speak regularly. So love that, Dr. Fred. Let's give some links uh, where people can learn a little bit more about you. You mentioned them once or twice already, but let's and we'll, of course, have them in the show notes for you. So where can people go and get your book, learn more about you, et cetera? Right. So my book is at findyourtruevoicebook.com, findyourtruevoicebook.com. And you'll see a landing page there and all you have to do is sign up for it. It'll show up in my in my list and we'll get it out mailed to you in a nice folder and all that. Um, 
The other website that I think is at this point really worth looking into is the Circle website. This is about the summit that we're having. So the summit we're having is called the We the People Summit. I have 24 influencers up there who are speaking to how, I know, surprise, surprise, how they found their true voice and became influencers. Nice. And as influencers, these are people with, you know, big, big followings and big, you know, so, you know, but what they're really showing us is you don't need to have a big following to be an influencer. You just need to get in touch with your authentic message and deliver it effectively into the world around you, your community. And at that moment, when anyone listens to you, when you resonate with any souls out there, by golly, you just became a real deal influencer. You don't need to watch all these guys who have a million sure. of them. That's not that's not it. The, but if you're not li- speaking your true voice, then no one will ever know you. Yep. Frankly, if you're not speaking your voice, no one will ever hear you. If you're not speaking your voice, you can't be heard, but sure. you can be heard in, by the way. <sighs> if you're speaking your true voice, that's an opportunity to finally get people to learn from you, to be with you, to put yourself out there for who you really are. And then what you receive in return is actually authentic as well, including creating the space for other people. So this We the People Summit is a space for that to occur for these 24 pretty well-known influencers that are in in on this. And um, we're going to be doing this over six weeks because my wife happens to be 100% Ukrainian. So all the proceeds from this summit go to the war-torn areas, you know, the devastated, disrupted folks in Ukraine, Mm. the refugees and those left homeless and the children and et cetera that are really already affected so deeply as as a function of the most recent war. So it's my pleasure to have a fundraiser that's building that kind that kind of traction. We're expecting to raise a million dollars for Ukraine in the next six weeks. So that's at, uh, you can find that one at true-voice.circle.so. True-voice.circle.so is where you can sign up for to be in part of that community. There is a True Voice community there. There's a We, we the People Summit community there as well. And I invite people to please come and do both of those. Love it. Even if this is after the summit, the summit starts on April 9th. You can still join that community. It'll be ongoing. And frankly, my whole brand is headed in this way. Uh, so my intention is now to create my podcast and, and my own podcast and my own, uh, all the events I produce uh, to be benefits for war-torn folks. I'm, I'm 64. It's time to roll this stuff back. And I've had a life that's great. And now I get to pour it back on the um, people who need it. Well said, my friend. Well said. Well, good luck with the summit. We'll have those links in the show notes. Uh, Thanks so much for being on the Publish Mo Profit podcast. Great to get to know you a little bit. Thank you. It's been a deep pleasure. Thanks for having me fit in. And I, I really have enjoyed this conversation. Really great. My pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening in on the Publish, Promote, Profit podcast. If you enjoyed it, please take a minute and like and subscribe to the podcast because every week I bring you either great guests or great teaching to help you to grow your income and your impact with a best-selling book. And if you're interested in having your own best-selling book, check out my short video which explains our trademark process at beginmybook.com.